2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, it seems like it's a good news, bad news day. Well, let's find out about climate justice and young people in this country. With us is Julia Olson, the Executive Director and Chief Legal Counsel for OurChildrenstrust.org. On Twitter, it's YouthVGov julia welcome back to the program it's great to have you with us so i've got two stories here one about what's going on in florida that you guys just sent out i just got an email and also what happened in alaska more recently uh, which one would you like to start with
3: let's talk about alaska time and it's great to be back with you
2: thank you so tell us about what happened in alaska well first of all what was the basis of the case you were bringing forward
3: so the state of Alaska has an energy policy that requires it to promote fossil fuels and fossil fuel development so we challenged that policy as being unconstitutional under the Alaska Constitution and Alaska's Constitution is special because it requires the state to protect natural resources for present and future generations so we have been waiting Tom for two and a half years for the Supreme Court of Alaska to rule on whether these young people, the plaintiffs in the case, could move forward to the merits and go to trial. And we just got that ruling last week. And they said? It was an interesting decision, so a little bit complicated. Five justices that sit on the court. It was a 3-2 decision against us, with two justices uh, issuing a really powerful dissent, saying that absolutely, they would find that a climate that sustains human life should be protected by the constitution and that these young people should be able to go to trial. But three justices said that they had what are called prudential concerns. Um, Basically it's a, a judge made doctrine that allows them to punt the case. What's interesting is only one of the justices who wrote that decision is still active on the bench. The other two had retired and were sort of deciding the case by special assignment and in some ways i see it as a, a one to two decision um and today we are filing a petition to the court to rehear that that case and and hopefully come to a different resolution
2: it's rolling out in other words this is not over so tell us about you know the case, this is Nikki Fried. She's been a guest on our program a few times, the uh, Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Commissioner, Nikki Fried. These state commissioners actually in some of these states like Texas and Florida have actually enormous statewide power. She has granted a petition that you guys put forward?
3: That's right, hundreds of young people petitioned the state and, and Nikki Fried in particular as commissioner to adopt a 100% renewable electricity standard for the state, right now they have, that her office has the authority to mandate all of the electricity in Florida is produced with renewable energy. And they have been dragging their heels, so we sent them a petition. And on Friday, they agreed to initiate this rulemaking process. So it's really the biggest moment in Florida in a decade in terms of setting energy policy that is clean.
2: Yeah, this is a great start. Our Children's Trust, how did this organization come about and what are you all doing and and how can people who are listening learn more about it?
3: I founded the organization in 2010 and we we do one thing. We represent children and young people who are bringing legal actions against their governments to change energy policy, to protect their climate system and really hold governments accountable for the decades and decades of danger that they have they have placed on the shoulders of young people. And we do so by bringing constitutional cases. One of our landmark cases is the Juliana versus United States case, which is still alive and waiting for a decision to move forward. And we also have, Tom, another exciting case in Montana. We just announced today we have a trial date February 6th of 2023, we will be in trial against the state of Montana for its energy policy that also requires promotion of fossil fuel development. Um, So things are moving, and Mm -hmm. you can go to ourchildrenstrust.org to learn
2: more. It's a great organization. You're doing God's work. The Juliana case, you've had several... Did that start... Am I remembering correctly that that case started as an Oregon case?
3: It was filed in the Federal District Court in Eugene, Oregon, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we are back there now, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a setback in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in in another split decision, a two-to-one decision, and so we have revamped a little bit, and we have a motion pending before Judge Ann Aiken. And fingers crossed, we'll get the green light to move forward. And then we hope to be going to trial against the Biden administration also in the coming year.
2: And the basis of that lawsuit, the Juliana case, is what?
3: It's the U.S. Constitution and the Fifth Amendment, which protects young people's rights to life and liberty and property and public trust resources. And we have 21 amazing youth who have been harmed by the federal government's continued perpetuation of a fossil fuel energy economy and the promotion of fossil fuels. And you likely know that our emissions are continuing to increase under the Biden administration and our oil and gas production is also going up. So despite everything that President Biden committed, to do, we're going in the wrong direction, and so this, these young people's lives are at stake.
2: So this is a specific effort to force the federal government to do exactly what?
3: So what we're seeking in this new amended complaint is that the court hold a trial and then declare that the fossil fuel energy system of the United States is unconstitutional and violating the rights of young people.
2: Whoa, by destroying the environment.
3: Yeah, draining the climate and their lives and harming their health, and both physical and mental health,
2: yeah. and,
3: and their properties. Many of these young people have had their, their properties and their, their families' lives threatened.
2: Boy, if you win that, that will be one hell of a precedent. It's an amazing case, a series of amazing cases. You're doing such great work. OurChildrenstrust.org is the website, YouthVGov, on Twitter. Julia Olson, the Executive Director and Chief Legal Counsel. Julia, great talking with you again. Thanks so much, and keep up the great work. Paul in Amber, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, thanks for listening on the Tom Hartman app. What's up? The book, The Club of
4: Rome, has a passage in it about not so much climate change directly melding the um, the arctic uh, ice pack when diesel ships in mass started to go up that way for fishing for the u.s navy to drag god knows what type of radar equipment up there the soviet union and so on and so forth these ships would unleash particulate matter from the burning of the diesel fuel and that will be widely distributed for miles and land on the pristine, pure white
2: snowpack and decrease its albedo. The,
4: yeah, and what would happen was, for for centuries, uh, that would reflect the thermodynamic property to reflect the heat. It wasn't so much carbon dioxide that that was started to melt that, as the fact that the particulate matter being black started to attract and retain the sunlight from the thermodynamic properties. Now, today, I mean, this this, this is really what I wanted to talk about, but you brought up the the club of Rome. The Progressive Caucus has introduced a four-day work week bill. The point I'd like to make for people to understand is, extremely subtle changes in the environment can affect the ecosystem. If we start working one full day less a week, Factories are operating 20% less. Cars are operating 20% less. We're shopping 20% less. Wait a second, Paul.
2: Even in those places where you have four-day work weeks, and there have been experiments with this around the world, typically what happens is you end up with people working a three-day week and a four-day week. I mean, you know, the factories still run seven days a week. You know, when there's demand for their products, they just have different shifts.
4: The point is, for the four-day work week, productivity is so great there's less energy being consumed less fossil fuels being burnt the first time they uh, put this forth the bureau of labor statistics in 1899 the federal government said because of the massive industrialization the railroads the telegraphs the steam engines we didn't need to work as much we didn't need a six-day work week we could have an eight-hour day and a five-day work week because the energy that human beings used to have to attend to produce things was now being taken over by powered machines. What I'm saying is the thermodynamic properties coming from the sun and from the elimination of fossil fuels, you're, you're going to have a different dynamic. You're going to have a different dynamic because... It's not going So your to, argument
2: your argument is that a 4-day work week would help save the environment. Is that the bottom line here, Paul?
4: It, it's a, con, a contributing factor. It's a very small subtle change. Just like little tiny air particulates melt of the Antarctic and the right. Arctic ice pack.
2: The butterfly effect. Yeah, I get it. Paul, thank you very much you for the call. Yeah. So we broke Afghanistan, and now children are starving. Don't we have some responsibility here? I have shared with you in the past. I've been on the mailing list, the email list, for some time for the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. This is an agency that was put into place, independent of the military, to over, but it has a .mil um, uh, email address. Uh, specifically to oversee what's going on in Afghanistan. And the reports, the reports that I've been sharing with you for the last, I don't know, four or five years anyway, have been just scathing. And uh, they just released their 54th quarterly report, uh, this was actually about a week ago, uh, to Congress examining the $145 billion U.S. Cons- reconstruction effort in Afghanistan. Here are the key points. Over half of Afghanistan's population currently faces a tsunami of hunger, Record drought, rising food prices, internal displacement, severe economic downturn, collapse of public services. 19 million Afghans experienced acute food insecurity in September and October of last year. 22.8 million Afghans will be at potentially life-threatening levels of hunger this winter. 8.7 million of whom are facing near-famine conditions. 3.2 2, 3.2 million Afghan children under the age of five are suffering from acute malnutrition. One million are at risk of dying as we speak. They note it would take 2 billion in foreign aid just to lift the incomes of all Afghans from extreme poverty up to poverty. On January 11th, the White House announced that they're sending $300 million worth of U.S. humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. The United Nations launched a $5 billion funding appeal They're trying to raise $5 billion to feed people in Afghanistan. As of January 2022, the United States was providing $782 million in humanitarian aid in Afghanistan and for Afghan refugees in the region. So it looks like, A, there's a crisis. B, we are doing something about it. Um, But, you know, is it big enough? Is it enough? I don't know. I don't know. Some good news here from Oregon. Well, I mean, time will tell. We'll see. Uh, I, I generally do not weigh in on primary contests because you just, I, you know, unless you live in the district or next door to the district, you just really don't know about the local politics. And I made that mistake a few times early on in the 19 years I've been doing this show, um, bringing on primary guests and then discovering, oh, there was another progressive in the primary too, and maybe even a better one. And so I've just, you know, largely decided to stay out of primaries. Uh, the exception to that was two years ago when uh, the mayor of one of the little towns affiliated with Portland, uh, was running against Kurt Schrader um, in, in the primary, and I had him here on the program a couple of times, and uh, because Kurt Schrader has just been, a, uh, in my opinion, a terrible, he's a Democrat, but he's just done a terrible job of representing us in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's one of those handful of conservatives who last year chipped away at different aspects of Build Back Better, killed the prescription drug price reform for which he was given lots of money from Big Pharma. He's been leading the assault on Oregon, frankly. He inherited a fortune from his Pfizer executive grandfather shortly before the 2008 cycle, which is how he got into Congress in the first place. And ever since then, he's been one of the most conservative and corporate-friendly Democrats in Washington, D.C. He led the charge that killed the Build Back Better provision that would have allowed Medicare to negotiate drug prices. That's Kurt Schrader's work to destroy that, to end that. He was one of two Democrats that voted against the American Rescue Plan. He said that the impeachment of Donald Trump and his role in stoking the January 6th insurrection, that people who are investigating that, you know, like the committee, this is a lynching of Donald Trump. This guy's a Democrat, right? So he's being challenged by Jamie McLeod Skinner, an openly gay woman. She grew up in rural Oregon, moved back, uh, married, actually, openly gay woman, married to her wife. Moved back to Oregon after spending her adulthood in communities around the world. She worked for the International Rescue Committee to coordinate reconstruction and humanitarian aid in Bosnia, which led to a job managing refugee programs in the Bay Area in California. She served on the city council in Santa Clara, worked as a city and environmental planner. She's got a law degree from the University of Oregon. She's been the city manager of the Oregon Town of Talent and they turned to her as a crisis manager when they had the wildfires. She is a strong supporter of progressive policies, such as Medicare for All and the Green New Deal, and she has been endorsed by the Working Families Party, by the Sunrise Movement here in Oregon, and by Indivisible. So keep an eye on this race. This is a, a brand new district, the fifth uh, congressional, well it's a newly redrawn, the fifth congressional district, and so Schrader is only gonna have about half of the people who voted for him last time in this district this time. This, it could be a very competitive primary. Um, so just heads up on that. Terry in Wellsville, Pennsylvania. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind? I keep hearing everything about this Keystone XL
5: pipeline. Mm-hmm. Well, Keystone XL was just an extension of the Keystone pipeline. Right. And the thing is, I go on a site called worldoil.com. It's all one word, world oil. When Trump was in office, Canada was pumping 20,000 barrels of oil a day. Today, under Biden, they are pumping, which under their government, but since True Biden go. became president, they're pumping 4 million barrels of oil
2: a day. Now, all I'm having a hard time believing only... that they went from 20,000 to 4 million. I mean, Alberta has been, has been an oil center of the world for decades. For decades. Back to exactly. the 50s.
4: But they were
5: down because of the, the coronavirus.
2: Oh, okay. They well, that's, that's an anomaly. What's the point you're trying to make, Terry?
5: That the point I was trying to make is they saying that we were oil independent, energy independent, mm-hmm. okay? That all started back when President Obama was
2: in office. Yeah. No, when Obama and, was in office, the United States and, and became technically energy independent. Figures. Pardon me. I said when Obama was in office, technically speaking, the United States became energy independent. We were still importing oil, um, we have all along, but we didn't have to. And uh, now we're back to have to because, uh, you know, they legalized exporting oil. And so now we're not we're shipping a lot of our overseas. Terry, Terry, thanks for the call. Riley in Roosevelt County, Montana. Hey, Riley, what's on your mind today?
6: I live on the
1: edge of the Bakken Basin, which is, you know, from the uh, western side of uh, North Dakota into Montana. Mm -hmm. And that reserve is so huge. It's like the more more they look, the more they find. They've underestimated what's been there over and over again. A lot of people have diverse uh, feelings about fracking, but it's fracking that made that, you know, available. Suddenly, yep. they could go down two miles deep and, and get that oil, which otherwise wasn't attainable. Yep. Uh, but the, the other thing that I wanted to mention was, we've heard of these laws uh, for uh, murdered or brutalized uh, white children. Uh, we have Megan's Law, Amber's Alert. Those apply oh, uh, to all get, children. Yeah, yeah, they're all white children. And no, they apply to all children. No, there's, there's, there's a lot of missing exploited and murdered and brutalized black children or hispanic children there is no law named after
2: them oh i see what you're saying that uh yeah that megan was a real person she was a white kid amber was a real person right, was right. a white girl i you're, i get the it
7: whiteness gave her validity. I guess.
2: right okay i don't know what to do with that other than noted but it's a it's a data point that i think is kind of reflective <laughs> of our culture the the white ethnocentric bias uh, essentially of our culture pat in washington dc hey pat what's on your mind today
8: Listen. I may have an answer. We're property owners in Texas. I, I, I'm from Texas, but my father, people left us the land in East Texas. And we had land that we sold off the mineral rights. And so much of these Texas used to be, and probably still to a large extent, owned by private individuals, right? The land where the mineral rights are located. Well, this company brought the mineral rights from us. And this was years ago, so I may have some of the, the details a little fuzzy. But in the contract, it stipulates that they were going to go back and clean it up after they did. They, they blew up a whole bunch of our land to get gravel. They, this company actually got gravel.
7: Hmm. Uh,
8: and they, they sold gravel. And so at the end of the contract, what they did was instead of, instead of uh, putting it back as it was, they bought their way out of having to clean it up. Now, of course, you know you're going to have heirs that are uh, – we thought about it. But you got heirs of certain financial stability or instability, and some want to take the money and others don't. So we ended up at the end of the day taking the money, and they didn't have to clean it up.
2: Wow. So instead of cleaning it up, they came to you all and said, uh, here, here, here's some cash. Just go away and don't bother us. Exactly. Wow. I'm not surprised, but uh, I'm, I'm sad to hear that that's how it plays out. And, and you know, if, if it was just pulling gravel, it's not as big a deal. If it was gas or oil, it could be destroying the entire planet's uh, atmosphere. Pat, thank you. Thanks for uh, adding another dimension to our understanding of the situation. I, I appreciate it.
9: Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
2: Don Wiener writing over at Exposed by CMD. This is the Center for Media and Democracy. They just did this huge expose on who's pouring money into what, right? You know, I mentioned a minute ago that, you know, you've got in the, in the Josh Bandel versus J.D. Vance race in Ohio to replace Rob Portman, in that race, you've got at, you know, a group of billionaires that are clearly going after J.D. Vance on behalf of Josh Bandel, and it's hurting him badly in the polls. But that's not the only one uh there's another one in missouri governor eric greitens is running against missouri attorney general eric schmidt uh, for the united states senate in from missouri and uh greitens has you know the, the the current governor has surrounded himself with trump people and and is being supported by Richard Uline, I believe is how it's pronounced, Richard and Elizabeth Uline. Um, they're some of the largest uh, donors to right-wing ca- causes in the United States. I, I believe he's a, a trucking billionaire, but I could be wrong, but he's a very, very wealthy guy. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and so far they've contributed, according to the Center for Media and Democracy, 3.9 million, 2 million, and a million dollars to the super PACs supporting Senate candidates in North Carolina, Missouri, and Arkansas. This case is, is Missouri. Uh, they have put $2.5 million into Eric Greitens' campaign. And meanwhile, the Koch-backed Americans for Prosperity Action Committee has endorsed Schmidt, the guy who's running against Greitens in that Missouri race. So here we have two of America's richest campaign donors, uh, Richard Yuleen and Charles Koch, facing off in the Senate Republican primary in Missouri. I mean, this is, this is what it is coming to. This is how weird it is getting. And, you know, I I think it's an open question, you know, is is, is this, this, by the way, these are the new rules that the Supreme Court gave us with Citizens United. I, you know, I keep making this reference to football. It's like if the NFL said, whichever team gives us a, a, a million-dollar bribe, that team can have an extra player on the field for the game. This is the same thing. Whichever, You know, the Supreme Court changed the rules of politics to say, whichever billionaire jumps in, that candidate is probably going to win. Well, we've seen that over and over and over again in the, in the 12 years since uh, Citizens United was passed in 2010. But now it's getting interesting. What happens when you've got opposing billionaires? Billionaires on two sides of uh, you know two different right-wing candidates being supported by two different right-wing billionaires. And what does this say about the Republican Party and the future of politics in America? We're listening to the Tom Hartman program. We live in interesting times as the old curse goes. So I have a quickie for you here. This is good news, uh, more good news. And uh, what the hell? Why is that good news? Uh, kind of all about the same thing. First of all, the, the super good news. The, uh, the insurance commissioner for the state of Florida, or ex- excuse me, for the state of California, just announced that a natural gas company had given his campaign, this is an elected position, a sizable com- contribution, and he is uh, giving it back. That is like just great. You know, we have now elected officials around the country saying, you know, I'm just not going to take money, dirty money from the fossil fuel industry. You know, so uh, tip of the hat to the uh, California State Insurance Commissioner. Meanwhile, down in, down in Texas, uh, Texas is going to receive three hundred and forty three million dollars. You recall the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, the or framework, the BIF. Um, passes out $4.7 billion. It all has to go ultimately to for-profit corporations. That was a provision that Joe Manchin added to the law. Every penny spent has to be ultimately spent by a corporation rather than a government. But um, government passes the money out. And so they are, all across Texas, they're going to get $343 million to cap old gas, and oil wells that are right now blowing methane into the air. Now, blowing methane into the air, or leaking methane into the air, depending on how bad the leak is, um, is a really destructive thing, because methane is roughly, well, depending on whose math you're using and and at what level of the atmosphere, because it degrades more slowly, uh, either at the top of the atmosphere or the bottom, I forget which, Um, but, but there's a difference in how rapidly methane breaks down into water vapor and carbon dioxide but uh, bottom line is methane is between 20 and 80 times more potent a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide and so you do not want it leaking into the atmosphere and so the good news is 4.7 billion dollars going to the entire country just in texas 343 million it's going to create a couple hundred thousand jobs uh they're they're going to be down in down in texas Uh, Right now, the state has, uh, just in the last couple of years, they've spent $20 million plugging 1,400 old wells every, uh, every, 1,400 last year, but they still have a backlog of 6,400 old wells that are all just pouring methane into the atmosphere. So that's all kind of the good news. The bad news is, or, or the weird news, or whatever you want to call that, is why aren't the gas companies paying for this? Why am I paying to clean up the trash left over from some oil and gas company in texas why can oil and gas companies drill a well and then after they've extracted all the easily and cheaply extracted oil or gas cap that well or even just leave it there to pollute and walk away why don't they have to issue a performance bond or a a safety bond or a, a close cap the well bond Why is it that we're cleaning up coal mines in Appalachia? You know, well, obviously the reason why is because these coal companies, just like with these oil and gas companies, an awful lot of them, I mean, there's literally thousands of these companies, you know, from Texas up through Oklahoma and into Montana, literally thousands of these small oil and gas companies. They come in, they do the drilling, uh, they, they screw up the environment, they suck out all the money, and then they declare bankruptcy, or they just walk away, one or the other. If they declare blanket bankruptcy, it makes it even harder to go after them. Why don't we just very simply, in the United States, pass a federal law that says this must be done at the state level, but that every time somebody wants to drill for oil or for gas or mine for any mineral, including coal, they have to put up a bond, they have to post with the state the amount of money it's going to cost to clean up their mess in advance. And that way, when you know, when they decide to go bankrupt or run off with their profits or whatever, I mean, you, you know, every penny of this stuff ended up in some fat cat's pocket. There are multimillionaires and billionaires living on their, you know, living large on their giant ranches all across the, the western and southwestern United States who got there by leaving behind poison that you and I are now paying to clean up with our tax dollars. And I find that pretty outrageous. Anyhow you're listening to the tom hartman program taking back the mainstream media three hours a day five days a week right here patrick in east lansing michigan hey patrick what's on your mind today
10: Hi, Tom. I was um, hoping you'd cover the story that's going to go to trial in the federal court against the House Speaker in the state of Ohio Legislature, who's on trial for bribery, Larry Householder. How mu- Have you covered this issue? I have on late- this program,
2: but it's been probably uh, a few months anyway.
10: It's really breathtaking. And the new article in Grist by Nathaniel Johnson really tells the story. As And the story is really simple. I mean, it combines what's going on around the country all in a single story. So the utilities bought this law, which bailed out their coal plants, and they bought it with dark money. And because of it, just to get the top line story, Mm -hmm. the amount that the utilities have to put in alternative energy that was mandated by the voters in 2008 is cut in half. They're going to have to pay $2 billion more in utility rates because they're going to have to subsidize underwater in-debt nuclear plants and keep old coal-fired plants going to sustain their energy. And that's what these companies wanted. They needed to figure out a way to recover their investments in the coal plants. And the way they did it is breathtaking. They gave $61 million over four years, and they got Larry Householder reelected to the House, and he gave the initial money to 21 House Republicans in this gerrymandered legislature in Ohio, in the House and Senate, and every single one he gave money to got elected. And then, once he got the bill passed, House Bill 6, which will produce this $2 billion extra rate, and $7 billion in Healthcare costs for people harmed by the coal plants over nine years. So now we have the worst energy policy in the country, rolling back one of the best reforms in the country, and the company couldn't stop. So First Energy has now admitted to the FBI after they caught them that they were engaged in bribing the governor's legal counsel, who was being made head of the Public Utility Commission, so he'd write the rules in their favor. But before they did that, the people went to work to repeal the law, and First Energy had its lobbyists and its um, agents through the C4 dark money bribing the people handing out the petitions to repeal the law so, to get them so to So, Patrick, I'm over
2: at Grist.org at the Grist website, and I'm not seeing this story. Can you can you tell me how to find it?
10: yes the title of the story is how a 60 million dollar bribery scandal helped ohio pass the worst energy policy in the country january 26 2022 the author's name is nathaniel johnson and he tells the entire story there i've got it and not only that he links to leah stokes who's a leading climate change political scientist Mm -hmm. who has done a deep dive on this and written about it in her book, Short-Circuiting Policy. So the reason I'm calling is we have an unbelievable story where a citizen's campaign was undermined by the petition circulators being bribed one by one to leave the state, and then they went to the top person running the campaign. This is a campaign to repeal a law. And... They bribed him to be a mole, and the FBI got it on tape, and now householder's going down, the governor's attorney's going down, free lobbyists are going down. You should cover it.
2: I I intend to. Thank you very much, Patrick. I'm I'm printing the story, now. and thanks for the flag. I'm printing the story as we speak. Thank you very much. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. John in Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey, John, thanks for listening to WADR. What's up? A point you were talking about the U
11: Lines uh, mm-hmm. messing in politics down in uh, Ohio. They are multimillionaires, and I do believe they trace their lineage back to the Pest Brewing Company. They have uh, a supply uh, business that they supply everything from soup to nuts. And it's, if you Google it's under U L I N E. -hmm. And uh, they have gotten to the point here in Wisconsin where they bought they bought some property on a lake in northern Wisconsin, and they wanted the whole lake. So they talked the DNR into uh, letting them have their way. So that's that's with that. Also, uh, you just spoke about uh, the jet stream. What's done our great Wisconsin public broadcasting here about uh, Alaska and the tundra melting and releasing all the methane that's been stored there for thousands and thousands of years. And I hate to be a negative Nelly, but I think think the Earth is past the tipping point because it's on a roll towards putting so much methane into the atmosphere that nothing to
2: stop it yeah it is clearly passed a number of tipping points the question is whether it's past the tipping point where it will within a century or two or three become hostile to human life itself right now i think it's past the tipping point where it is going to soon become hostile to civilization Um, At least in many parts of the world, and we're starting to see that already. We're seeing climate refugees, and we're seeing governments fall as a consequence of this. Uh, You know, we we got this huge flag with Tunisia back in the day. You know, when when the desert came south in Tunisia, the same thing happened in Syria. The desert came south a hundred miles. Wheat farmers were wiped out. The price of wheat tripled, and then and then the Tunisian street vendor, you know, a a pita vendor or whatever, uh, lit himself on fire and. That started the so-called revolution you know the the you know across the middle east you know this is climate change this this is what we're seeing so john yeah spot on john in fort pierce florida hey john what's on your mind today
12: i'm a fervent believer in moving to renewable energy so i i want to make that clear before i say what i'm going to say um you had a guest on earlier that talked about suing the Biden administration for not keeping their promise about moving to renewables. That seems so unfair to me. I mean, it's not Joe Biden's fault that he can't get Joe Manchin and Sinema to go along with Build Back Better, which has more more money to go towards you know renewable energy initiatives than anybody ever.
2: Yeah, I get that, that just, and so did they, John. And if it. that if that if that segment came across as a Biden bashing segment, I, I you know I certainly didn't mean it that way, and I don't believe they did. The point of of suing well, you didn't. the point did
12: she did? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, the point of suing the federal government is that if you can establish through the courts that there is a that we have a legal right to a safe environment, then. Congress, you know, whatever Congress does, doesn't matter anymore. I mean, you know, it's uh, you, you would, you have, you would have to start remediating that problem, that problem. The courts can direct it. I mean, w- basically what they're saying is that the legislative efforts are not working. We're going to go with a judicial effort. That's the bottom line here. And, and, and I, I'm fully supportive of that.
12: It was about messaging. It was about yeah. hearing, we're suing the Biden administration. for not keeping their promise. I, I thought that I just wanted to make the point that it's not Joe Biden's fault. Yeah. That's really. I agree with you, you know, John. I, I, my... I agree with you.
2: And I would had to go back and listen to the piece. But I was well, not. It was good. It was that one thing at the end. And, that, yeah. you know, it just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I got right. it.
12: John, well, thank thanks you. a lot and for the call. And by the way, your show is great. Your messaging is about
2: the best ever. Well, thank Any you. station or any Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And thanks for Take listening care. to SiriusXM sure. Progress. Jim, in uh, Vila, Montana. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? The best thing Biden did was to cancel Keystone XL
5: right away. I've yeah. been fighting against that since 2007. Yeah, I'm not sure I even and, got to uh, that on the
2: list. I mean, <laughs> I only ran yeah, on the list.
5: <laughs> yeah, you mentioned it finally. Thanks. Oh, I did. Uh, but okay. here's the thing. Uh, every day, you hear a Republican someplace, and I think Ju- uh, that Julio you had on the other day, uh, say that the reason for high gas prices is because biden shut down uh domestic energy like keystone xl well the thing w- wasn't even supposed to be operational until 2023 it hasn't been built yet
2: right How well it and on, have any effect and on top of that the, have- the keystone xl pipeline is designed to bring dirty tar sands oil uh, basically coal sludge from canada down to texas so it can be refined in texas refineries and of course refining you know turning that dirty oil into gasoline or diesel fuel enormous quantities of pollution are, are released dumped into the air exactly. they go downwind along cancer alley through through uh, eastern texas on uh, across louisiana and alabama causing thousands of cancer cases and then what happens to that refined oil it gets sold out, offshore? Exported. This is all for export. I mean, this is like exactly. we get the poison, we get the pollution. Uh, whoever owns that refinery, it used to be owned by the Koch brothers, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure if it is still. But whoever owns that refinery gets the profits. And and, and we get stuck with the oil spills and the pollution and and uh, it's just crazy. And they're claiming that exactly. this is why gas prices are up. No, gas prices are up for a whole bunch of reasons that have to do with other things. But you're you're absolutely right, Jim. Yeah, thank you. That was a, Your point was very, very well made. I appreciate it. David in San Francisco. Hey, David, what's on your mind today?
1: Oh, good. Uh, follow that uh, last conversation there, Tom. Uh, the third thing that you didn't add into this pipeline problem was they had to pick up water all along the pipeline route. So uh, they'd be basically, you're, you're right in your phrase about it being a uh, sludge that they have to push from. Yeah, it's like a coal slurry. All down to. Yeah. Yeah. But they have to add water in order to keep pushing that sludge. And so they have to steal water from Minnesota or they steal it from Montana or whatever, North Dakota. And then they steal some more water from South Dakota and and Iowa. And, uh, you know, all of the different states have to add water until it gets to Texas. And so the water theft and then the pollution of that water. uh, I used to live out in Grand Junction, Colorado, where they had the uh, oil shale. And that would poison 22 gallons of, of clean water before it made one gallon of gas. But I, if I remember right, that slurry uh, is actually poisoning something like 34 gallons. So you, you it, it, it's just amazing how much water ends up polluted that you can never use again and it used to be available for agriculture in in the heartland of america right and so when it, it and,
2: and when that water gets into water tables it can it can be extraordinarily destructive uh yeah hey the other thing the real reason i called was uh you know the uh
1: the phony electors yeah uh there's a there's a website called american oversight dot org american oversight dot org and it's got all of the the names of the uh, electors. It's got a pdf and ah and of those PDFs, it gives all of the names of all of the electors.
2: Yeah, I'm looking so at it right now. Think
1: about, yeah, Amazing. and some of the electors were well, there was a congressman in there, there were mm-hmm. all sorts of different people. and those uh, those people were in positions of power that content, because they committed fraud this time, what other projects did they work on in the past or are working on right now and they haven't been removed from office
2: yeah more so, than 1000 uh, now we this was over on daily Coast this morning uh then there's a hot link to it from uh, the article that I published at hartmanreport.com this morning more than 1000 public officials people who have taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, were corrupted by the Trump administration and participated in one way or another in trying to overthrow the elections. Over a thousand. That's mind boggling. the Donald Trump, his criminality could spread that far. Oh yeah, I mean, and,
1: and the idea that these people are in positions of power that need to be removed, and the sooner that we can get the
2: Attorney General dealing with it, the better. Yeah, I'm with you. David, I'll let you take that call. Harry in Lompoc, California. Hey Harry, what's on your mind today?
13: Oh, some great news out of England that might uh, part the the dark looming clouds over the geopolitical world. It turns out that uh, the predictions that uh, the researchers in Oxfordshire had made uh, in 2017 about achieving nuclear fusion with hydrogen has been successful as of yesterday. And their plan is to begin integrating it into the national power grid by 2025
2: i read that in nature yesterday yesterday afternoon in fact sean <laughs> was the one who flagged it for me and uh, you know it's great news they've got they were able to sustain fusion but they could only sustain it for a short very short while i think it was a matter of seconds and and it was on the verge of producing more power than than it took to make that fusion happen but they haven't broken that barrier they just think that it's within sight i mean this is still very very experimental technology
13: one key component to this is that they had predicted it to the date Basically, um, the success. I didn't know that. And 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 we were talking about nanoseconds before, and now we're talking five seconds. That's right. that's like within our ability to observe, if you will. Right. And so, considering all the the mess that's going on with the talk of war and and power you know and energy and gas and no, i agree it's, it's great
2: news harry and I'm, I'm i'm very happy for it and 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 i hope that well i don't hope i i believe that we are standing at the threshold of a really substantial energy revolution in in the world i mean uh, wind power and well, solar power that- are now cheaper than any fossil fuel period and, well, and you know, how,
13: how do you think that might affect the, uh, this real fascist push in the world today? I doubt if it'll have is, any influence
2: uh, on it at all, but you know, it, 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 the more we can do to get off oil, right now our economy is being held hostage by basically Saudi Arabia and you know, the oil producing states, Saudi Arabia and Russia in particular, who are the, the, the major forces regulating the price of oil around the world. And oil is over $90 a barrel right now, or at least it was yesterday. And and, you know, Mm -hmm. that drives inflation when oil goes from forty dollars a barrel, as you know, which is where it was a year or so ago, up to ninety dollars.
9: Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media on Fail Better. David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back
2: a barrel you know surprise surprise you get you get inflation and here we are so you know getting us <laughs> off that i think is you know a really great idea and i think that fusion you know if they can make it work it would be spectacular certainly it would uh, you know the french would be all over i, I can tell you because they're they're married to fission i mean you know macron just came out and said that he wants to build 13 new f- nuclear power plants um so i you know the, yeah, the faster it can again. come the better harry thanks a lot for the call Vincent in Prescott Valley, Arizona. Hey, Vincent, what's on your mind?
1: Left organizations that need to make a, a front against these truckers and other people that really don't have a clue because their brains are affected. You know, I think it's an environmental problem with the dust in the air. The pollution in the air has affected our brains. We breathe it 24 hours a day. We need to put up a
2: bigger front My yeah, it may well be. I, I certainly think that the, the poisons in our food are having a big impact. Uh, and, and hey, if the, if the dust that's coming, particularly if you live in one of these uh, typically neighborhoods of color that are downwind from like power plants, you know, where chromium and magnesia and man- manganese and lead are being blown out of the smokestacks every day. Absolutely. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program, exposing the con in conservative stick around. science that I wanted to share with you has to do with this question. I've mentioned in the past that uh, there was one report that came out about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, that suggested that as many as a third of people who are getting long COVID, who are getting the, the you know, a severe, or even, actually, I, I, my recollection is it was a third of people who had uh, symptomatic COVID, COVID, severe to, you know, not, didn't kill them, but, but severe COVID. Uh, we're experiencing as a side effect, uh, brain fog or dementia. You know the, the 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 clinical term for it, the medical term for it. It appears now that that might be as many as a sixth of the people who are afflicted with long COVID. That there's something, some kind of brain change that has happened, and uh, this could be a, a an absolute tsunami of. Uh, disability claims coming down the road but now they're doing the science on this finally and they're, they're i mean i don't mean finally it's like you know finally there's been enough time to do the science peer review the science publish it in in uh, actual you know uh, peer-reviewed publications this one is from the uh january 19th edition of the annals of clinical and translational neurology and uh, Laura Sanders wrote about it over on ScienceNews.org, the headline, A Faulty Immune Response May Be Behind Lingering Brain Trouble After COVID-19. And, you know, she points out that COVID-19 usually doesn't infect the brain. But there are these, these uh, cells that are part of the, essentially, the, uh, the immune system of the brain uh, they are, I believe they're called glial cells. I'm looking for the, um, yeah, the, these, these antibodies, uh, that are not normal. microglia, excuse me. They're, they're called the microglia. And they note in this article, immune cells called microglia are overactive in the brain with people who have had SARS COVID-2 when microglia shift into high gear, they can damage surrounding brain tissue. So what they did is they they pulled uh, brain fluid out of the spine, you know, cerebral spinal fluid. The the, the, the spine is, you know, the spinal, uh, the, the nerve that goes down, you know, the center of your spine is part of the brain. And it is surrounded by the same fluid that surrounds the brain. So they can tap a little of that fluid out and know what's going on inside the brain itself. And uh, this is, pretty astonishing stuff. They're talking about fatigue, trouble thinking, difficulty remembering, and even pain months after the infection. Millions of people have been infected, says neurologist Avidendra Nath of the National Institutes of Health of Bethesda. Quote, we are now facing a public health crisis, she says. Uh, this This research started by a cognitive neurologist by the name of Joanna Helmuth at the University of California, San Francisco and she was looking at the clinical similarities in the neurological symptoms, in other words, the brain function of people with HIV and COVID-19. And one of the things that we know is that one of the symptoms of later stage HIV infections of full-blown AIDS is dementia. Doesn't happen always, but it does happen frequently. And she, and she said that uh, portrayal, that, that, that brain change characteristic of HIV looks identical to what we're seeing in some people who have long COVID. She said, in fact, quote, the infections, quote, paint the same exact clinical picture. So they pulled the spinal fluid and examined it, and they published the results, as I said, in the January 19th Annals of Clinical and Translational Neurology. And here's this is a quote from her uh, study. She says, this is a very small study, but the data suggests that there's a real biological basis in these COVID related cognitive changes. These are not just people who are stressed out. We are seeing abnormalities that are not typically seen in brain fluid. And then they replicated this with mice. The original study was people. They replicated it with mice, and they found the exact same thing. She's, and, and then she goes on to say, I also noticed striking similarities between chem fog or chemo fog, the brain fog that comes from doing chemo, and COVID fog. And decide, and that was the point at which she decided this is something that you know we need to look into. We need to figure out what's going on with this. How does this work? What's the mechanism? And what can we do about it? Fascinating stuff. So your geeky science for the day roosevelt in uh natchitoches louisiana nagatush thank you nagatush
5: nagatush that's the oldest settlement in uh louisiana porches
2: wow so what's up Mm
5: -hmm. what i want to say uh about this virus this pandemic there's no physical appearance that people can see like polio you know when you went to the movement that used to have these People in these iron longs and stuff.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And
5: I had also, his legs got all twisted up and he had gone crutches the rest of his life. Right. So there was no physical, so people just rise up. I mean, you know, there's nothing physical about it, so they just assume that it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. But if there were physical consequences to this virus, you can believe me that they would be thinking different.
2: I think that's a great point, Roosevelt. My wife's yeah. grandmother, uh, Louisa's grandmother, had polio when she was a kid, and her right. left arm was, uh, or maybe it was her right arm, one of her right. arms was withered. You know, it was physically smaller right. than the other one and, mm-hmm. and pretty useless. Mm-hmm. She couldn't use it to drive and things right. like that. Right. And so, you know, we all knew the danger of polio. And so in 1957, right. as I recall, when they started right. passing out the vaccine in our right. school, I was right there. And I, I mean, I didn't know Louise's grandmother back then, but I knew other people like that. And, and Louise certainly knew her grandmother back then. And so, right. yeah, if you can see it. Yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. Roosevelt, thank you very much for that. OK, Galen in San Francisco. Hey, Galen, what's up? hi
14: tom what a wonderful show and i appreciate your readings by the way thank you what i called to mention was that uh as an encouragement for people to get vaccines it's very interesting to me because the health insurance companies will undoubtedly pass along most of their costs to the insured and you if you get when w- long covid yeah and and not only long term but even you know short term yeah all the claims all the different you know claims that are going in and they're going to go to the rate you know the regulators and ask for a rate hike now when it comes to tobacco the insurance companies can charge more if you're a smoker and i wonder if the uh insurance companies could Announce that they're going to have to pass on that cost and they're going to have a surcharge for people who are not vaccinated without a good medical reason for not being done.
2: I think that's coming, uh, Galen. And, and I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before now. But it, maybe they've got to compile actuarial information to justify it or some, you know, crazy sure thing they like do that, it, but A
14: lot of statistics are in. I hear them on the news every day.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah.
14: Or, the, you know, for they, they do it all the time. So why don't why don't they somebody make a big deal of the fact that this is coming?
2: Yeah, that's it's a good point. It's a very good point. Galen, thank you for that. Thank Excellent point. I I wanted to just add one note, by the way, to something that happened on Friday On Friday. I I did a geeky science story about how low levels of vitamin D seem to be associated with uh, high levels of bad outcomes from getting COVID vaccinated or unvaccinated. Uh, particularly among the unvaccinated uh, most of the research was done before the vaccine was available and i mean you know like massive differences and i kind of anecdotally made the point that when louise was diagnosed with breast cancer a decade or so ago uh her doctor told her that her vitamin d levels were really really low and we started taking vitamin d somebody heard that and called our business manager and said uh, you know tell me about this cure for cancer with vitamin d um my my apologies if anybody misunderstood what I was saying that you know there is uh, apparently an association between low levels of vitamin D and low immune function and there's apparently a connection between that and getting cancer but vitamin D does not cure cancer I did not mean to suggest that or imply that um, and so just just to be very very unambiguous and very clear taking vitamin D is a good thing to do you want to talk to your doctor about it, about how much you should take, but you can buy it over the counter. Uh, there's a lot of other good supplements that I think are the good things to take, um, but uh, I'm not claiming and never would that any of them will cure cancer or any other disease. Although, like I said, there is now solid evidence published in a peer-reviewed journal, which is what I was sharing with you on Friday, that if you have low vitamin D levels and you get COVID, your outcomes probably will be worse so taking vitamin d supplementation this is why we put vitamin d in milk you know uh, vitamin d supplement is, uh, supplementation is an important thing rob in mesa arizona hey rob what's on your mind today
6: hey tom uh, just to answer you know uh, you're talking about the pollution that these factories put out and all that well that's why the environmental protections are put into place and then they're weakened and so the basic philosophy that the conservatives have is you know privatize the profit socialize the losses so cleanup is expensive so socialize that and it's even worse uh, no greater influence on that is in our healthcare system right now where if you're healthy enough to work you get a different insurance than everyone else and so basically if you get a work insurance you basically have a different insurance than what you can get on the exchange you know I know that because we're kind of experiencing the differences between the plans on the exchange versus something offered through a business Right. And, uh, you know, if you really want to help small businesses out, just write a law that says no business can offer health insurance and just put it out there in the free market. Let people pick what they need to pick. And that would help small businesses out because now they're not competing with, you know, benefits. You wouldn't even have to really ban don't. it.
2: All you'd have to do is make it no longer tax deductible. Yep. yep I mean, that you know, they, this, this, this was the, that's how they went after uh, restaurant expenses, you know, the, the so-called three martini lunch. What they did, did was they limited the tax deductibility of meals.
6: What most people don't realize is just that. You're letting your company pay for your health insurance and then they're writing it off.
2: And when they said you can only deduct, I, I don't remember the percentage. I think it might be 60%. I could be wrong, but you can only deduct a certain percentage of meals nowadays. Companies stop paying for meals for their employees when they're having business meetings. You can still pay for them when you're traveling, but that's the exception. Rob, thanks for the call. That's That's a good one too, another thought-provoking call. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today i got—I got to tell you, I got the, we have the smartest listeners on earth. It is such an honor to hang out with you people all day, every, or not all day, three hours a day, every day, uh, right here. And thank you so much for, for watching or listening to our program. I do appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, get out there, get active, tag, your it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow.
11: You've been listening to Tom Hartman.